0: Sit down, I'll listen, wait. Relax, my dudes, it's not too late to join in with these awesome fans marble Marvel. there some chips and OC fix and meat and meet The best girl, quick. I've been squatting, uh, I, I just won't mind the time. It's a podcast, it's also a gun. Hey guys, welcome back to the Geekening Podcast, the podcast about all things geek culture and beyond. So, I'm your host, Dahlia, or Leah, or whatever you want to call me, and I'm joined by children's literature author and historian, Milena Evans! Hi! Thanks so much for having me! It's our pleasure, Milena! So, Milena is, as I mentioned, an author and a historian. She earned her PhD in Egyptian history from University of Chicago, is that right? That is correct. That took a hot minute, but yes, I did do that. And she wrote some books about ancient Egypt. Yes, that also is correct. Which is interesting to me in particular because I live in Egypt. Oh, lucky you.
1: One of the best places on the whole
0: globe. (laughs) I'm actually from Louisiana, but I lived my entire life in Egypt.
1: Well, you get some lovely views of the Nile and the pyramids, and I've actually only been there once. By the time I um, started grad school, I already had kids, so I didn't get to go, like, dig in the dirt like many of my colleagues at the time. But one of the best couple weeks of my life there. Beautiful place to visit. Yeah, it is lovely.
0: I was just at the pyramids, like... A couple of weeks ago with some relatives and friends from back home. And the view is magnificent. Yeah, that's lovely. So, Milena, tell us a bit more about yourself. Let's
1: see. I am originally from Utah. Kind of raised climbing mountains and such. Moved to Chicago in my early 20s. And in my late 20s, went to graduate school. I'd been a really pretty a, a sci-fi fan my whole life. That's pretty much how I made it through junior high and high school. And at some point, my passion for sci-fi kind of turned into a passion for ancient history, which might seem like a weird link, but I think the connective tissue there was like Greek myths. I got into Greek mythology. I went and got a master's degree in Greek and Roman history. And one thing I learned there when I did that was a lot of the things I had sort of credited the Greeks and Romans with were things they had inherited from the Mesopotamians and Egyptians. So I decided to get a master's degree in Egyptian and Mesopotamian history and then fell in love with ancient Egypt and got my PhD. By the time I was in the dissertation phase, I, I, I had sort of had to earn more money to support my kids. So I, I did not ever work as a professor. I couldn't take those early, those early professor years, unfortunately. I was pretty old when I started it all. But I do teach on the side, a lot of women in the ancient world type stuff. And then even later, I decided to kind of start writing. At the time, I had middle grade kids and kind of wrote some middle grade stories that featured South Side Chicago kids, much like my own, lost in ancient Egypt.
0: Okay, and how does your studies influence your writings?
1: That's a good question. One thing I think is, I think in my first book, Jagger Jones and the Mummies, one of the ways you can see my very i guess my how geeky i am about ancient egypt is i didn't have the things most people think of when you think of egypt i didn't have pyramids or the sphinx or any of those kind of things instead i had sort of things that like shabti which are figurines that spring to life and take care of people in their afterlife or magical amulets or you know sort of Things that I had learned about all through grad school, but aren't necessarily the first thing your average person thinks of. It also shaped who, who the characters in my book were. Not my not the two Americans, but everybody else in the book is ancient Egyptian, who, who are real histor- based on real historical characters. It shaped sort of the way the plot is put together. There really is a real tomb that sort of influenced the story. A real period in history, the Amarna period which is this really uh, my favorite period of ancient Egyptian history when the pharaoh kind of tried to replace the traditional gods and goddesses with the sun god, the Aten. And it kind of ended up being like the bad guy in the series. And also just sort of, I tried to think a lot about not just what American kids think uh, resources are, iPhones and such, but also what ancient Egyptian teens would have thought resources were. So, you know, ancestors who have passed on, amulets. I kind of tried to touch on those uh, belief systems to show how that might function in real life. I kind of wanted the ancient characters to be like, oh my gosh, what's an iPhone? And what's plastic? And you know, that kind of stuff where the American kids were equally amazed at the kinds of resources the, the Egyptians had available to them.
0: And why does he not try to get your books published in Egypt?
1: I would love to get my books published in Egypt. That's That's a full publisher thing I assume she has tried. That would be like a huge coup for me. I'd be thrilled with that.
0: And you mentioned your favorite ancient Egyptian period where uh, the gods and goddesses were replaced with the sun god. Why is that your favorite ancient Egyptian period?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. There's so many reasons. I guess I'll just, I guess I'll limit myself to two reasons I like it. One is it's just so fantastical. Everything changes on a dime. And it kind of just speaks to how quickly the world can change. I mean, Egyptian history, one thing I try to stress when I talk to particularly middle graders and such, is how long it is. The time between Cleopatra and us is, you know, less than the time between Cleopatra and the pyramids. I mean, Egyptian history is very long. And I wouldn't say it's really static, but it's somewhat static relative to how quickly our world has changed. And then there's this one period where the capital, which had always been in Memphis or Thebes, just gets moved to the middle of nowhere. Architectural styles are created. Like so much about their world, at least for people connected to the court, turned upside down. But I think what appeals to me the most is the arts. Because ancient Egyptian artwork is, I guess, what many people think of, the stiff standing people and the you know, profile images and such. But when you get to Amarna, everybody's touching. It's very intimate. It's very affectionate. There are more kids shown. So you see the pharaoh and the queen with their little girls on their lap. They're kissing. It's just a very, it, the lines are super curvy. It's unlike anything that went previously. And I don't, the, the artwork speaks to me. And therefore, I think perhaps the stories of the time speak to me. It's also quite a tragic period this is king tut's father is the the unusual pharaoh akhenaten and, and a lot of things go wrong in that period of time as well so there's there's some tragedies in that mm-hmm. moment
0: are you saying that this period was more family oriented
1: i don't know that we can say it's more family oriented from the images but the imagery of the period is kind of female centric for one thing and not one explanation for why the pharaoh showed the princesses his daughters off so much but very rarely his sons could be that he had displaced the goddesses and the gods, but there was a male God. So maybe he felt he needed to, you know, I think there's a lot of propaganda going on. So I'm not sure you can take that propaganda at face value and think it's, you know, reflects a real change in family values. But I do think the artwork, the intimacy of the artwork is, is different. And it does sort of influence egyptian artwork to a small degree moving forward
0: so let's talk for a bit about jagger jones and aria jones thank Can you
1: tell us more about them um jagger jones and aria jones are two south side chicago biracial kids they the sort of family is not dissimilar to my own family in fact i wrote this story originally because my son who is now 18 and on his way to college was nine years old and we were going through a hard time in my family. We were getting, you know, going through a divorce. The kids were having struggling. And my son and I were just out for lunch one day and talking a little bit about ancient Egypt. There was this great moment where ancient Egypt was also his favorite subject. So that was fun for me. And he asked me what ancient Egyptians looked like. And I said, you know, you you would you would you'd make a good ancient Egyptian. And he said, somebody should write a book about a kid who looks like me lost in ancient Egypt. And that was sort of, Originally, when I started writing, it was something he and I were doing together. I wasn't thinking I'd get it published. I was just kind of having fun with my son who was going through a hard time. And then I kept writing. It's not the first time I'd kept writing a book, but it was the first time I tried to edit my very, very bad first draft into something a little more fun to read.
0: And I
1: assume Arya is based on his sister? Yep. What is similar about Jagger and Arya to my two kids is my son really is that kind of overprotective big brother as Jagger is in the book. And Arya and my daughter do have quite a bit in, in common, kind of streetwise and sassy and kind of strong willed. Um, Jagger actually is not very much like my son at all, but some of the banter between them is literal banter that, happens in my house so some the relationship is actually quite similar to their relationship in many ways the big brother trying to protect and the big, and the little sister trying to kind of push him off and get more space
0: what were your kids reactions to the books
1: they loved it my son especially was kind of interested in in the journey and being part of it but but they both really enjoyed it my daughter was quite mad when the first book was dedicated to him not her <laughs> But that made sense. It was Jagger's book. And I dedicated Arya's book to her, so she got over it. But but they really, really enjoyed it. And when I started writing, they were my only beta readers. And, and we would sit around at dinner and kind of come up with plot lines and things that could happen to the characters and brainstorm about how the characters could solve their problems. And so they were particularly early on very, very involved.
0: What was the creative process like? Was it easy or was it difficult?
1: Difficult. And I
0: think the reason... It's gotten easier for me, but at first it was
1: difficult. And I think because, you know, when you're trained as a historian, there's a way we think about truth that is things we can really back up with sources and evidence and such. And when you're trying to tell a story, really, you're not going for facts. You're going for sort of authenticity. So you're, so maybe you're speaking to the culture in a way that resonates with at least my understanding and of what that might have really been like so you're you're trying to tap into the smells and the sounds and you know the belief systems and the world views it's a very it's a much more imaginative process i'm sort of a creative creature at heart so i don't have trouble with that but i had I had trained to be super pedantic. And in fact, the first draft was like an academic text, more than something middle graders would want to read.
0: So, so it kind of,
1: I had some unlearning from the academy to do, I think, in order to make it a funner read.
0: And how did you like adapt your book from more of an academic thing to something middle graders would like to read? You know,
1: the key thing for me, I mean, I struggled for a while, but I think what made it click for me, it took me a minute to get here, Oddly enough, was artifacts at some point I made a list, a huge list on my wall. And on one side of the list, I put everything imaginable. You could just in any way think that that a, you know, 13 year old boy and an 11 year old girl might have in a pockets and purse. I made Aria sort of a Nancy Drew type purse character. So she had a lot in her bag. So I put that on one side of the paper. And on the other side, I put all the ancient Egyptian artifacts I could think of. And I tried to mix and match them. So early in book one, they're on the Nile and they get attacked by killer crocodiles. And they fortunately have a magician with them who knows the spell to ward off the crocodiles. But her magic kit has been stolen. A thing that ancient Egyptians would have had in a magic kit was wax. So she has no wax, which is what she needs. But Arya has gum in her purse, so she substitutes the gum for the wax, and that ends up panning out. So I kind of focused on, on ways that objects work for people, because we may not have the same objects as an ancient Egyptian, but we all have ob- we have objects and they have objects. We have sort of feelings about our objects and assumptions about our objects, as did they. Um, so I tried to kind of put those things. Clash those things a little bit, pull them in so they would contrast. And that sort of made things work better for me once I did that. And I will say the one other thing I did that, that took me a minute but made things easier was you do have to know some ancient Egyptian history, I think, to follow the story. But I'm writing this for, you know, 11 year olds. They weren't necessarily going to come to the book with a deep understanding of history or ancient Egyptian history. So I made Jagger a complete history nerd and made Arya a character who didn't care, but it let me have him explain the history that they absolutely needed to know to his little sister. So I can put it in his voice, his dialogue, and that kind of moved things faster and, and I think made it a little bit more fun to read.
0: So are you saying that your average white person would be able to enjoy the story about learning so much about ancient Egyptian history
1: beforehand? That is what I'm going for you. Oh yeah, you don't really need to know much ancient history, but what I hope is that you would learn some stuff about ancient history, even if it didn't feel like learning. That's I was kind of trick I was trying to trick some middle graders into learning some stuff. So I hope that's true.
0: Okay. And have you ever tried writing adult literature?
1: You know, funny you should ask that, Leah. That's what I'm working on right now is a adult historical fiction, also set in ancient Egypt. What does it
0: revolve around?
1: The one I've finished that has literally sent me positive thoughts, just got out to publishers uh, a week ago, is the story, my my favorite female character, Hatshepsut, she's is a rather well-known female pharaoh. It's not a story of her, it's the story of her only daughter. So I wrote a story about Nefrura, the daughter of Hatshepsut. We don't know very much about Nefrura's life, so it's, all fictional, but definitely based on real history, real characters, and some real scholarly theories that kind of bounce around the Academy a little bit. And the one I'm working on right now is actually King Tut's wife, who is from the same period, the third Amarna princess, Anka Senamun, who we do know a lot about, had a very tragic story. She had lots of siblings as a child and everybody died. She marries her half-brother, Tut, he dies. He sends a letter to the Hittite king saying, I don't want to marry this gross old man. Send me your son and I'll make, he can marry me and be pharaoh. The Hittite king eventually does it and the, the boy gets killed on the way from Turkey to Egypt. So I'm kind of doing a fictive version scaffolded on this history right now is what I'm playing around with.
0: So you're fictionalizing what actually happened. Right. Right. But will it involve some fictional characters like Jagger and Arya?
1: No American characters, but definitely fictional characters like the book about um, Nefru Hatshepsut's daughter. And one of the main characters is a completely made up handmaiden who is not at all historically attested. So it's a kind of a mix of historically attested people and what we know about them mixed with some char- you know, a cute guard and handmaiden and and some more characters to drive the story forward.
0: Why ancient Egypt? Like you also studied Greek uh, history, so why did your works focus on ancient Egypt?
1: Yeah. I mean, I also really love Greek history. I like Roman history. I like Mesopotamian history. I like Russian history. I like a lot of history, but Egypt is the, is the history I kind of, well, now at this point, I just know so much more about it. You know, you spend a decade learning about a place there a lot of information sticks in your brain. So I know more about ancient Egypt than I do other cultures, even though I've studied those. But also the reason I kind of went that way, gravitated to that way, you know, during grad school, I mean, it's just such an awesome, fascinating. There's kind of mystical stuff that's interesting. There's a lot of practical, no-nonsense stuff. You know, the math, the writing, you know, they, a lot of our origins, our shared human origins kind of get catapulted forward at that, in that time and place. And that kind of interests me. So I don't know, there's just a lot in ancient Egypt to, to fascinate someone. You could easily spend your life studying one small period of ancient Egyptian history.
0: And you've only been to Egypt once, right? I know, sad. Can I come stay with you? (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm moving back home soon.
1: Oh man. (laughs) Yes, I've only been there once, but the thing I would like to do more than anything is bring my kids to Egypt. And my son is getting a little old, so I'm hoping I can come real soon.
0: How was your visit to Egypt? Awesome. I
1: loved every minute of it.
0: And are we going to see any sequels in the future to Jagger and Arya's stories? Yes, book three comes out in about a month, actually.
1: What is it called? It is called The Joneses and the Princesses Seneb. So book one is from Jagger's point of view, and book two is from Arya's point of view, and book three rotates points of view. And the books, uh, Ankh, Ujeb. Ankh, Uja and Seneb, which are words in the three book titles, is an old Egyptian blessing. Ankh, Uja Seneb, which means may you have life, prosperity, and health. So I kind of explore those concepts a little bit in the three books.
0: So books are coming out real soon. Where can our listeners find your books?
1: They can find them on BookBub, on Amazon. Um, if you go to my website, melanaevans.com, you can click right through links where you can click to find them and for educators I have a lot of educator activities on my site like escape the tomb activity classroom activities and such so I've kind of tried to put some stuff there that work for anyone trying to kind of talk about a little bit more about ancient Egypt in a fun way.
0: Does that mean that your books are classroom friendly?
1: Well I wrote them to be classroom friendly yeah that was very top of mind for me when I wrote them.
0: Did any teachers you know of use them as resources? Um, yes. Yeah. For a lot of, uh, the sixth grades, kind of in
1: the core here. So sixth grade teachers have kind of teamed up so they, the lit teacher might have the kids read my books and the history teacher might, you know, kind of do that. I do, kind of, I do a lot of classroom visits. I kind of like to talk a little bit about all the things we inherited from ancient Egypt, the ways it kind of impacts our life still today. And anytime I can proselytize about ancient Egypt, I'm a happy historian and storyteller.
0: And you mentioned that you also are involved in adult literature. So, which is easier to maneuver into, children's literature or adult literature?
1: I w- I want to say middle grade. The middle grade stuff was in. S- it was harder for me because I hadn't, I'd never really written before. I'm not a trained writer, so so I had a, more of a learning curve. By the time I started writing adult, I'd sort of learned a few things. But I think the thing about the adult work is you're trying to kind of more capture an ancient Egyptian's point of view. Whereas the middle grade stuff for me was easier because it's from a, you know, it's my kid's point of view. It was easier to plug into it. So they've just had different challenges, I would say.
0: So what you're saying is that your mileage may vary? Yes, <laughs> yes, Leah, my mileage may vary, <laughs> exactly. The thing is, at my university, I just graduated university, and at my Congratulations! University- Thank you! Uh Yay. One of the capstone courses on offer was about writing children's literature and people would flock into this class thinking it's an easy
1: A. Writing children, you know what I could never do is write a picture book. I know people think it sounds easier, but you only get a few words. Like, it, you have to be so concise, everything is so exact. Um, to me, that would be the absolute hardest writing, and I do think people assume that's easy, but I think it's probably incredibly hard. And yes, there's nothing easier about writing middle grade than there is about writing adult.
0: So, both are equally difficult. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I had different challenges with them, but but they're both hard in different ways.
0: And what would you advise people who are interested in writing children's literature.
1: I would advise anybody who is interested in writing a thing I did that took me way too long to learn. I wish I would have known earlier is get beta readers, like make writer friends, share your work. And that's kind of scary, but it doesn't get better until you have other people read it and react to it. And so half of it, half of the challenge is finding people who will read your work and give you a reaction. And then the other half is kind of taking that without getting your feelings hurt and sort of learning how to go, yeah, I want to take, make that change. I want to take in this feedback. Nope. I think I was right here. Like I will, I'm happy to take feedback. I, in my head, it's sort of framed as look, if they spent their time sharing their opinion with me and spent time with my work, I appreciate that. But I think that is like really a valuable, valuable tool for a writer is to just have other people who will kind of help you help you grow a little bit.
0: Since the third book uh depicting uh, Jagger and Arya's story is coming out soon, any fourth book in the works? Nope, it's a three book deal. I
1: wrapped it all up at the end of book 3. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> no more sequels? No more sequels, not for Jagger and Arya, but you know, there may be other middle grade stories in me in the future.
0: And where can our listeners typically find more of your work, not just your books?
1: If you want to learn about me, I'm kind of transparent and I am on my site, MelanaEvans.com or follow me on Twitter at
0: Melana with the capital M. Well, Melana, thank you so much for joining us on the Geekening podcast.
1: Oh, it was so sweet of you to have me in it. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: This was great. And congratulations to you again. Thank you so much. And, guys, you heard Milena. You can follow her on Twitter at Milena with a capital M. Or you can visit her website, milenaevans.com. But for now, the King Ink Podcast is signing off.